Welcome, everyone, to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 146, and we're reviewing Demon Slayer Season 3 Swordsmith Village Arc. As always, it'll be spoilers throughout this episode. We've been sitting on this Demon Slayer stuff for a while now because we already saw the first episode several months ago. Yeah, and then we kind of threw Demon Slayer on the wayside in terms of trying to watch it on a weekly basis. Um, just because we, we were like, yeah, we, we watched this first episode. We'll, we'll catch up. Uh, but I think it's better that a show like Demon Slayer is, is binge-watched, especially because with this season, I don't know why, but the episodes, the episodes kind of flew by for me. Like I didn't even realize the 20 minutes was up until the credits started rolling. I feel the same way. I think they made great use of every single minute of every single episode. So yeah, the pacing overall was was really good. But it's um, interesting to kind of reflect back on what we watched in episode one a while ago, like several months ago, um, and then piece that together with binge watching the rest of the season now. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second because we had uh, we had watched the special screening that aired in the U.S. Um, a little while ago. So we'll we'll dive into that. But first, we wanted to welcome our newest patron to the Strictly Serious Patreon family. Huge welcome to Coffee Cats Pugs. Woohoo! Woo round, of, round of applause as I hit my microphone. <laughs> welcome to our Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much, Coffee Cats Pugs, for joining our Patreon family it has certainly put some mist in our eyes. I like that. I know. I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, wait, we're crying. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Um, your, your support does mean the world to us. And if any of you guys would like to support the show as well and get access to things like our bonus episodes, our pre-shows or see our show schedule so you know what's coming up for the next month, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series. You know where my head really went at when you said miss, though, <laughs> and why I kind of paused there is because we can't breathe here in Chicago, or at least we um, couldn't for a while. It's better yeah. now. I mean, uh, uh, what, earlier this week, there were a lot of like Canadian, like the, the after effects of the Canadian wildfires that were hitting Chicago. Yeah. So for anyone who's not familiar, and I truly don't know like the, the finer details of this, but over here in uh, the U.S., um, we're experiencing, at least here in Chicago, um, really poor air quality because there are wildfires that have been burning in Canada and all of that smoke is making its way down to us. So for a while, New York had it really bad. The sky was legit orange and you couldn't see like what, like 10 feet in front of you is pretty spooky. Yeah, it looked like a scene out of Attack on Titan, the final season. Yeah. <laughs> and then we thought it kind of like went to the wayside. I didn't hear anything about air quality for a while and then suddenly like my weather app was saying like basically don't go outside and breathe the air it's terrible um it was super hazy here mm -hmm. in chicago for quite a while not as bad as new york i would say at least what i saw from pictures and videos of new york um but it just felt like heavy the air felt heavy um i i was breathing fine it just like felt stuffy you know what i mean yeah i mean i, I think i felt like a taste of the wildfire in my nose and mouth as I was breathing. Uh, it's just crazy because I think at that time or whatever day it was, Chicago was marked as like the worst air quality in the world. I think. Yeah. Like at that point, which I don't know how true that is because I feel like there are other places in 
in the world that have like industrial areas and such that would make the air quality worse than like a, a wildfire but you know where i would suspect the worst air, air quality would be is where the wildfires are happening in canada yeah <laughs> so when sure. i read that i was like really are we really the worst air quality like if we're by the wildfires i'm sure you can't breathe at all but yeah it was hard to do total concentration breathing and all this week <laughs> <laughs> out in the open so had to stay confined for a little bit which is fine and I, then there, I, there was a joke going around because we are approaching fourth of july and um, you know, people love to shoot off fireworks ahead of time, you know, test out their fireworks. So the joke was like, oh, we can't breathe here in Chicago because of the wildfires, because of the NASCAR races, because there's also NASCAR mm -hmm. races happening in the city. Um, and then also fireworks from 4th of July. But it really wasn't that bad. Um, I'm sure for people who have difficulty breathing or have asthma or something, because I do have a couple friends who have that, they were like struggling a bit and they had their air purifiers going. Um, but all in all, I think it was it was short lived. I feel like it came and went pretty quickly. And speaking of Fourth of July, a quick happy Fourth of July to all of our U.S. listeners as we approach the the Day of Independence. Is what I was going to say, but that sounds weird. <laughs> yeah, of course. This episode will be coming out the week of Independence Day here in the United States. So, yeah, happy Fourth to all of you Americans out there. I guess hopefully. You'll be enjoying the day grilling or any of those typical summer activities that people do on the 4th. Fireworks, of course, if your air quality isn't terrible in your area. <laughs> so now let's jump into Demon Slayer. Let's go back to what we were talking about before with um, watching episode one ahead of time. For those who aren't familiar, there was a special screening that took place, um, I think, in Japan that made its way, at least to the U.S., where they had sort of like a combo end of last season, beginning of this new season screening. It was episodes 10 and 11 of the Entertainment District arc, which was season two, technically, of Demon Slayer, and then an extended episode one of the Swordsmith Village arc. We talked a lot about this um, in our pre-show and, and uh, in general on our Patreon page, but uh, to kind of recap our thoughts here, it was interesting to sit through this because... I like didn't need to rewatch the last two episodes of the Entertainment District arc, but it was kind of nice to see it on the big screen and to experience it with our friends who went with us. So I think the special screening was like a nice to go to, but like not totally necessary. And I don't really know if I caught a lot of the extended pieces of episode one, um, but I guess we we got some bonus stuff. So I was looking into this. Uh, granted, we didn't actually watch the proper episode one when it released on Crunchyroll and all those streaming services, uh, but I saw that the runtime on those streaming services was 45 minutes, and that's comparable to the amount of time we spent watching the quote-unquote extended episode in that To the Swordsmith Village arc screening. So I don't think it was anything different from what we saw. Uh, it was just like you get to see the episode earlier than anyone else. Okay, interesting. Because, yeah, I guess I got thrown off because the way Mal has it listed is the extended episode one. But maybe they just meant that episode one is longer than a typical 20 to 25 right. minute episode. Okay, that makes sense. There was like the whole uh, drama behind like, oh, this wasn't actually a movie. People are paying money to go see this. They call it a movie, but I'm going to call it a special screening because that's really what it is. Um, but... 
I know that we talked again on our Patreon page about how, you know, if you had just read the description that the theaters had listed, you would have known what you were paying for. Mm -hmm. I think people went into it thinking it was like a movie, um, kind of like Mugen Train, but no, it was literally just a screening. Yeah. Again, just just sneak peek of season three of Demon Slayer. I mean, I enjoyed it. It wasn't as exciting as I had thought it'd be, and we'll obviously discuss um, episode one of season three in our proper discussion. Uh, but yeah, getting to or having to sit through the last two episodes of season two, and then going into this first episode for season three, it wasn't like anything overly exciting. It was basically set up episode and just trying to remember what happened leading up to this moment. Uh, I guess the the positive part of it was getting to see Ufotables work on the big screen uh, because Demon Slayer is, of course, a very cinematic experience for something that's meant for TV. So that was a definite plus. But I think when it comes to screenings like this, I'll probably have to scrutinize it a bit before deciding whether or not I want to watch something like this in theaters. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I said, it, it was more in, enjoyable for like the experience aspect of it than like, oh, I get to rewatch the episodes because I in general don't like rewatching things unless I really, really love the show. So I kind of was like, all right, I'll just I'll, I'll sit through these episodes again. I'm more excited to see the first episode of Swordsmith Village arc. But the, the tricky part there is I feel like the the start of the season for season three was like very mild. You know, it was just kind of setting things up. It was kind of, you know, just like showing us the Swordsmith Village um, and, you know, just kind of getting us ramped up for what the rest of the season had to hold. So I don't know. It was like, was it worth it to, to pay money to see that episode? No. But like if there were a more splashy first episode with some like jaw-dropping um, you know, something to it, then I think it would have been more exciting to watch it. So I don't necessarily totally regret <laughs> going to see the special screening in theaters, but kind of to your point, would I do that again? Would I spend the money again for something like that? Probably not. Now that we've seen the entirety of the season, though, initial thoughts. What, what were your takeaways from season three of Demon Slayer? So this season reminded me of a quote from Michael Scott's last episode of The Office where he had roped in like a couple employees into his personal office and wanted to say his quote-unquote proper goodbyes. He says, yeah, I was tripling up. There's not enough time in the day to have a special moment with everybody. That's how I kind of felt with this season doubling up with the Hashira since I think there are, there are nine total and including the ones from this season, that's four covered. So there's like five left that they need to uh, get like delve into their backstories or whatever. Um, so I, I, I get like having one season dedicated to each Hashira seems like overkill. And I think that's the direction that they're going um, or maybe it'll be something different in the next season. Um, so I, th I think for them to include Mitsuri and Muichiro in season three was a benefit, but then it was also like a, a disadvantage in certain cases for this season. And I just wanted to pose this question right up front. Did you have a favorite of the two Hashira in this arc? I mean, no, because I'm not super compelled. Okay, are you going to call him Tokito or Muichiro? 
Oh, I prefer to him as Moichiro. Okay. I guess I'll do that too. Because I know <laughs> everyone calls Mitsuri by her first name, Mitsuri. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll get, I have to like rewire my brain now. I, if I say Tokito, obviously I'm talking about Muichiro. Um, so I, I wasn't super compelled by Muichiro. Still find him interesting. Uh, you know, very sad backstory. It's not like he's a bad Hashira or anything like that. But I just like wasn't drawn to him the way like, um, you know, like Tengen was really interesting. Or Rengoku was mm -hmm. really interesting. Um, even Gyu, I find like really fascinating. So I would say that's kind of a toughie. But then Mitsuri, who I found more interesting because she's got more of a, a personality that draws you in. She didn't get enough screen time. And to your point about like having two Hashira in the season, I actually feel like Mitsuri got the short end of the stick. Yeah. She got like no screen time. And it's kind of sad because she's a very popular Hashira. People love cosplaying her. Um, and just love her in general. Like she's the love Hashira. She's cute. She's got a really cute outfit. Um, and she's very different than a lot of the Hashira because you kind of have a lot of them like with similar personalities being tough or like kudere or whatever. I, was say, they, I thought they represented like different dere types. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> they were polar yeah, opposite. It's mostly more on the aggressive side. <laughs> and then you have Mitsuri. So yeah, I felt like she just didn't get the screen time that she deserved. I hope that she'll come back in a later season so we can learn more about her. Because think about how much they gave us with the other Hashira so far. She got like nothing. <laughs> she got yeah. like very, very little. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's kind of a tricky part with the season, to your point about like having two in a 13-episode run. Or what, what is it? Technically this is 11. 11, but you had two extended episodes. So it feels like 13. Yeah. See, I was... I'm I'm the opposite of you because I found Muchiro more compelling this season, but I, that's because he got more screen time than Mitsuri. Yeah, I feel like he had three or four episodes dedicated to what he was doing in this fight and with his backstory. And I think it's also just because I'm more compelled to draw myself towards like a kure type, which I think Muchiro <laughs> pretty much is. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of like. They included Mitsuri there just to to please the fans, uh, which I think, yeah, to your point, she deserves more. But if you're, you're trying to group so many things together in, in one season, it's it's hard to do so without cutting some corners. It looks like the next season, uh, I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit, but they did confirm the next season already, as they normally do. Um, it looks like it's going to follow the snake guy. I don't know his name. Obanai Iguro? Yeah. Snake Hashira or whatever. He's got the snakes. I don't know what his, yeah, his power yeah, is. Yeah, the snake Hashira or serpent Hashira, whatever you want to call it. I did find that this season was lighter than the other ones. Um, lighter in terms of like just being your more standard Demon Slayer content. Um, lighter as in like it wasn't overly emotional. Like, yeah, there was a lot of emotion, um, but... It was mostly around Muichiro's backstory. I found that the two upper rank demons didn't get a lot of light shed on their backstories, which is unusual because normally mm -hmm. Tanjiro can like dive into the backstories of these characters and then feel compelled, some sort of like sympathy towards them. Um, yeah. But this time around, the vase guy got Gyoko, I think is his name, mm -hmm. got no backstory at all. Like we we know a little bit about him that he appreciates art or whatever, but basically got no backstory. And then the tiny dude got Tengu. Yes, um, got backstory, but it was really short. I know it's surprising because 
I feel like Tanjiro hated this guy's guts without really usually he, like Tanjiro has an understanding of these or he he tries to empathize with these demons but here I don't know if it's just because he was so frustrated with like getting the shorter end of the stick in their fight against him that he just resorted to oh you're you're just an evil person who has committed so many sins in, in a way it just kind of felt out of character for Tanjiro because I, I again I feel like he he has a bigger heart than that and you see that especially last season with uh, Gyutaro and Daki how much he emphasized their familial relationship and and connected with them on that level but you go to this season he's like fuck you i'm gonna kill you and cut your damn head off i completely agree it was very out of character for him i was waiting for him to take that that moment of pause to reflect on like the life that this person lived before they became a demon um and then you know try to find some understanding or some common ground with them before he chops their head off not in this case um i guess maybe that's what triggers tanjiro is being called a villain <laughs> i think that's what set him off it's like of all the things right one of them killed rengoku you know two of them are siblings fighting like it doesn't matter the only thing that sets him off where he you know is actually angry at a demon is when he gets called a villain <laughs> oh, yeah i guess so um but i guess outside of that this season i realized that demon slayer like it's all about family dynamics and in this season it's obviously there's Tanjiro and Nezuko, but you also see this with Muichiro and Yuichiro, uh, Genya and Sanemi, the, I don't even know what Hashira type he is. The angry guy? Yeah. And <laughs> the even, <sundere. laughs> right. And then even like Muzan and uh, Ubuyashiki, the leader of the Demon Slayers, I think they hinted at their relationship in the season two finale where he says that, or Demon Slayer leader, Ubuyashiki says like, Muzan is the sole blemish in this family. Uh, so it's highlighted in this season, even if it's not highlighted directly through these backstories of the demons. Um, but I think this is just establishing that these fam family dynamics is what sets these characters apart from demons that no longer have a connection to humanity. Yeah, and then again, you have these two upper rank demons who didn't even have backstories, and the backstory that we did get from the one guy wasn't anything related to family. So nice. I think I think that's what what sets this season apart and makes it feel lighter is like we just didn't have the depth that we get in other seasons. Um, that's fine, you know. I think it's okay to sometimes stray away from the quote unquote norm so that it doesn't feel formulaic or feel super repetitive. But then just the overall vibe of the season is just is simply going to feel different. And I did take a quick look at the ratings of all the Demon Slayer seasons on Mal, including the Mugen Train movie. And I think season three, at least as of this recording, is the lowest rated. Not that it's a bad rating. It's still in like the low to mid eight, but it is the lowest of them. And yeah, I, just, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just think it's it's different. It's different from what we've gotten the last several seasons from Demon Slayer. And we talked about this before we were recorded. This season's just more focused on the battle itself, which is fine because, again, Youth Photobol does great work with Demon Slayer. But the other thing with this season is that it brought up a lot of interesting revelations and thought provokers, but it kind of just glosses 
over them in favor of setting up this next action set piece in the Swordsmith Village. Things like the nature of the mysterious red-haired samurai that keeps appearing in Tanjiro's dreams. And then at the end, it's Nezuko's sudden evolution where she is a demon that can step out into the sunlight. Uh, But again, they don't really focus on these things and rather just give us a, a battle which again it's a, it's a great battle um it didn't feel like it overstayed its welcome at all i, I guess unless like we're talking about muichiro's part where his section was kind of dragged out a bit um but it kind of left me wanting a bit more yeah that's a good call out it, the best part about the season is all of the interesting breadcrumbs it left for us all of the little tidbits that we can look forward to with the rest of demon slayer because we're kind of nearing the end of the story i don't know how many more seasons there's going to be but i know the manga has ended and it wasn't a very long manga from what i understand um so we've got to be progressing pretty well into like the the core story like the 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 true underlying story of demon slayer um, so yeah, I, I'm really excited with the questions it left me with by the end of the season. Before we get into our discussion, we just wanted to, as usual, briefly talk about the OP and ED for this season. So to start off with the OP, we have the song Kizuna no Kiseki, or Miracle of Bonds, by a collaboration between Man with a Mission and Millet, which is interesting because both artists were involved in the op and ed for vinland saga season one she doesn't sound anything in the demon slayer song like she does in the vinland saga song i would never have guessed it's the same artist yeah actually she also did the i think one of the eds for ranking of kings and and didn't sound the same then either yeah (laughs) so like i think her ed in vinland saga was great but yeah it's it's kind of like that's an outlier from how she typically sounds. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I think she's she must have like a really good really good control over her voice to be able to transform it in that way. And Man with a Mission, I think they also did My Hero. That was the the Carousel one. Oh, like that OP which <laughs> I did not particularly enjoy, uh, but I did like their Vinland Saga one. And so with these two artists coming together for Demon Slayers third season op i think it's 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 typical anime rock um but i would say this is probably my least favorite of the demon slayer op so far because there's i don't think there's like flavor to it like gorenge or zankyo sanka from the previous season it's it's just it's standard I think that's kind of the theme here is like this season feels like standard Demon Slayer and so does the OP. I completely agree. There's, I don't think the song is bad, but when I first heard it, I just kept thinking this is what a this is what a dictionary definition of an anime opening would sound like. Like if the dictionary had like mm-hmm. a sound bite for the definition of standard anime opening, it would be the song. Or like um. An AI generated opening. Yeah. (laughs) I do appreciate that Demon Slayer, when they have the title card come out, they have Tanjiro plus whoever to signal the season. 
So like it's always like one, two, or three people, and this was oh, the three right. of them for the third season. I think if I'm remembering that correctly, but I do like that they kept that consistent. Like when the title card comes on, you've got Tanjiro like frozen in that moment as he's running, plus whoever he's with for that season. I do like the sort of folk instruments that start off the song, but I think again typical heavy rock fare as we'd expect from a Demon Slayer opening, but nothing further than that. Uh, but to comment more on the visuals, you have the swordsmiths, which obviously play a key role in this season. I think the couple first shots are of them forging the blades for the Demon Slayer core. And then you have focus on Muichiro and Mitsuri, who are, of course, the highlighted Hashira of season three and just a touch of their backstories. Um, I think a shot of all the Hashira also appear and then end on the 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 red-haired samurai who we'll learn a little bit more about i think in the first episode um and then what was interesting is that the op ends with nezuko's muzzle on the ground which spoilers as always (laughs) yeah that opened up a lot of questions for me it's like oh is she comfortable just having her muzzle off I thought, like, and did she did she die or something? Like, why is it just there? <laughs> yeah, then we see what happens in episode 11. And as I'm watching that, I'm freaking out because I'm realizing, oh, shit, is this what the OP was referring to? <laughs> um, but then, yeah, th- there's so many twists and turns in that episode when it comes to Nezuko. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's the visuals for the OP. And then lyrics-wise, it's just more of that, like, Suyokunaru mentality, like from that classic line of uh, Gurenge. Um, just a reminder to the Demon Slayer core or each individual member of why they're fighting, having all of these different reasons, but uniting under one cause, which is especially resonant for Tanjiro and Muichiro with the line, for who do we carry out this will and tear apart the darkness for? And I think there's a slight hint to Tanjiro delving more into the Hinokami Kagura or the sun breathing technique with lyrics like soar above and put on the fire in your unleashed heart. Then we have the ED, which is Koi Kogare or yearning also by man with a mission and millet. I feel like we don't really give too much attention to Demon Slayer EDs. Uh, just because, uh, for me, I couldn't really tell the difference between this song and the OP. Uh, so there isn't much that I can say about the ED here. I think you get shots of Mitsuri and Muichiro, uh, taste of their battle prowess, but I think that's that's all I can really say. I felt like the ED visuals were a little misleading because they focused on Mitsuri a lot. Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's shots of Muichiro and, like, his backstory and whatnot, but it kind of gave a little more limelight to Mitsuri, but yet in the season, she did not have nearly as much screen time as Muichiro did. I did like the ED better, though, than the EP. The EP? <laughs> I liked the ED better than the OP for this season, so I didn't mind when we sat through the ED every time to get to the post credit scenes. Lyrics-wise, I think it's kind of the same in line with the OP. Some metaphors about blades, which I think is cool. That's in line with the Swordsmith Village arc. Um, Lines like, no matter how many times sorrow beats the world, your blade, lithely flying around, cuts open the way the dreams run through. 
So the hope that the Demon Slayers provide to this bleak world. I kind of didn't follow that at first. It was a very weird sentence structure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, translations of Japanese lyrics, I think they try to maintain the artistry of the original intended phrase, but yeah. <laughs> it's in English, that's not always going to pan out the way you think. But all right, Strictly fam, get ready to unsheathe your swords as we slice and dice our way into our synopsis and discussion for Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, Swordsmith Village Arc, the 2023 anime adaptation of a manga series written and illustrated by Koyuharu Gotoge, produced by Ufotable and directed by Haruo Sotozaki. The third season follows season Demon Slayer Tanjiro Kamado as he sets out to forge a new katana for himself at the discreet swordsmith village, which comes under attack from sinister demon forces seeking to deal a crippling blow to the Demon Slayer Corps' infrastructure. In episode 1, Someone's Dream, after the ruinous ruckus of the Red Light District, Muzan Jackson summons his remaining five moon men and threatens that if they don't get their shit together working remotely, he's going to have to force them to start working in office. One of the moon men, the genie in a knot bottle, Vincent Van Gyoko, reveals that he's got some juicy gossip to further their demonic cause, to which Muzan dismisses him and the fearful haunted Hantengu to act upon the information. We then turn our attention to Tanjiro as the rousing redhead recovers from the ruinous ruckus of the red light district, tasked with convincing his short-tempered swordsmith, Hotaro Kujo, to forge him a new katana despite Tanjiro's ineptitude at taking care of his bladed belongings. In the undisclosed location of Swordsville, he meets the love Hashira Hashira Mitsuri, who hints at a sweet sword stash if Tanjiro needs a side mission to occupy his time and he additionally meets his former classmate, Baku Genya, who'd rather treat him like an NPC. Tanjiro decides to take on the Sweet Sword Stash side mission and runs into the Mist Hashira Hashira, Muchiro, engaged in a heated debate with a young swordsmith and a redhead that Tanjiro recognizes from his dreams. Just not the dirty kind. Probably a really quick clarification for anyone who doesn't get the Baku Genya reference. Genya's voice actor is the same voice actor as Bakugo from My Hero Academia. So. Yes, and it, that's just easier for me to, to, to remember these characters' names if I can associate them with something else. Nobuhiko Okamoto, I believe, is the voice actor for them. So, yeah, extended episode one. There's a, a lot going on here. Um, the one thing that sticks in my mind the most from watching episode one in the theaters is how nauseous I got when it was like Kibusuji's scene with all of the upper rank demons and oh, it kept yeah. flipping the the <laughs> environment around, which I get because this demon realm or whatever that it's he's the in. Infinity Castle. Yes, the Infinity Castle that he's in doesn't really have an up, down, left, or right. Like that's the idea. It's something kind of like all under I assume his control. Like it's just it's just this very like psychedelic realm. Like a MC Escher. I, like the artist with that stairs. Oh, you know, yeah, the yeah, yeah. I didn't know what the Going reference, up the yeah. stairs and going down the stairs and going up the stairs. Yeah, like you don't know which direction <laughs> is up and down. Um, I, I get the idea behind it, but me being an individual who gets motion sickness and then watching that on the big screen, I was like, holy shit, please make this stop. I also felt like that that whole scene felt long. 
And I don't know if it's yeah. because it was making me nauseous, but it's like every sentence, like if someone would say one sentence and then boom, the drums would go and then like this, the environment would flip around and then another person would say a sentence and then boom, the drums would go and then the environment would flip around. I'm like, we don't need the environment to flip around every time someone says something. It's like this was an intense scene out of a Shakespeare play for whatever reason. Yeah, it, was, it didn't even feel like it needed to be that intense. They were mm-hmm. just talking about how to find the fucking thing that Kibutsu G is yeah, looking for, the, the lily. the blue spider lily. But I think it's like with this being a dragged out meeting, it's meant to highlight how frustrated Muzan is with his team and him not inching closer to his goal, which we find out later why he wants the blue spider lily. Uh, But yeah, when we were watching this in the theater, I kept thinking to myself, if this is supposed to be a sneak peek of the first episode for season three, why is this so long? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Until I realize like now it's just an extended episode for it being the season premiere. I think the key takeaway, okay, well, before I even talk about that, I did like the setup part. So we get kind of the after effect, or not the after effect, but the after moments of what happened in the Entertainment District arc. We see everyone go their separate ways. We know why Zenitsu and Inosuke are not involved in this season because they're off doing their own missions, which makes sense because they are demon slayers who are technically separate units. It's not like the three of them are specifically a unit together. They're not a team together. So at first I was like, why would they separate them? But I'm like, no, that makes sense. They weren't even a team to begin with. Everyone goes off and does their own thing, their own mission. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's practical. It's logical. Um, a little bit sad though, because I love Zenitsu and I was sad that he wouldn't be really appearing in the season. Um, and yeah, it was just like the, the the typical demon slayer humor. It was It was comical um it was goofy especially the the kakushi the i don't even know what their proper title is uh the attendance to the demon slayer core yeah like i i know it was kind of seeing tanjiro's rehab from his perspective um and sort of like the sitcom nature of that i i enjoyed that um kind of a reminds you of like demon slayer's good balance of action drama and comedy I did I did see a meme floating around for a while after that episode came out um, where they were like, why is Tanjiro's bed so short? Have you seen oh, that? Yeah. So someone like drew the correct proportions for Tanjiro and they were like, well, he's either like got his legs bent underneath him or they're like broken in front of him because there's no way with the proportions of where he's at in the bed versus how long the bed is. There's no way that he would fit on that bed. I'll try to find the meme and I can share it in the discord. Which, by the way, if you're not a member of our Discord, the link to that is in the description. Uh, going back to the Infinity Castle scene really quick, uh, I, I think it would be remiss for us not to mention Mamoru Miyano's introduction into Demon Slayer. Because oh, yeah. He's the VA for Doma, I believe is the... Uh, which, which ranking is he? <laughs> I think he's the... The second, but let me clarify. Yes, upper rank two. Uh, although I, I feel like Doma is going to be a fan favorite just because it's Mamoru Miyano voicing him. And a uh, very like over-the-top character. Yeah. He but, feels like the Tengen of the upper rank demons. <laughs> right, yeah, the flashy one of the Kizuki. But yeah, this is the only instance we see of him throughout the rest of the season. 
Uh, my thought was originally that Dolma was going to be the, I guess, the season's antagonist, but I guess they're going to save him for a later arc. And then there's the revelation about the red-haired samurai. Uh, I think his name was Kokubushi. Is that right? Koku... Kokushibo? <laughs> Kokubushi. <laughs> Sorry, I'm mixing up the syllables. Uh, Kokushibo, uh, which I'm, I'm thinking, and I, I don't, they don't really confirm this in the show, but I'm thinking that's the same person that Tanjiro sees in his dream, and that later... Han Tengu says that Tanjiro has the same energy as this samurai who was capable, almost capable of destroying Muzan. Uh, but it seems that Muzan has gotten him over to the dark side. And I believe he is the like the top-ranking Kizuki um, right behind Muzan. Uh, so I think this will present a very interesting story when they decide to explore more of Koku. <laughs> Kokushibo. Uh, but yeah, this that breadcrumb here that isn't addressed for the rest of the season, but it's just kind of underlying. I have so many questions about the dream. I don't know. Like I have so many questions le- that I'm I'm left with at the end of this oh, season. Oh yeah, that separate dream. Yeah. Right. Because like you have that dream where the one of the redhead guys, they all have long red hair. One of the red hair guys um, is talking to some other guy that looks like Tanjiro and mm-hmm. you learn all these things like this person helped the Tanjiro looking guy and now they're taking care of him but he doesn't want to share who he is because he thinks it's not important um, and then I'm like is that Tanjiro's dad is it his dad's <laughs> plural like I don't know what's going on <laughs> No, I had to clarify this, and thank God there's a Demon Slayer wiki uh, that has an episode synopsis for this episode, but it doesn't spoil anything because it says, sitting on a porch, a Demon Slayer wearing Hanafuda earrings is brought tea by someone and gently thanks him. That someone being the person who looks like Tanjiro in this scene. There's a link where you can click on the someone but I'm not going to click that so I don't spoil <laughs> myself. Um, but yeah, I had to kind of clarify this because I was getting so confused. Is the redhead samurai Tanjiro's dad that we saw in the season one who was like like frail and weak? But no, these are separate people. Uh, but it's just that this redhead samurai had a profound effect on the Kamado family, which is why Tanjiro carries those Hanafuda earrings. Uh, so, but what about the facial scar? Yeah, the, the Tanjiro's facial scar. Does this? Does the Tanjiro look like? He doesn't have the same. No, but scar. the the sword the sword guy does oh. the swordsman. Yeah. There, there's a meme. So I was looking for this meme. I pulled it up while while you were um, sharing that information. Uh, there's a meme out there, <laughs> and the I shared Oprah? it with you. Yeah. The Oprah meme where it's like, you get red hair, you get red hair, you get red hair, everyone gets red hair. And it shows all of the characters from the season that all have the fucking red hair, including Tanjiro. So it's like the the upper-ranked demon, the guy from the... Uh, the Both guys from the dream, the one that looks like Tanjiro, and like the, the guy with the Hanafuda earrings. Um, and then I think... It's one of these images probably from behind is like the, the robot, not the robot, the doll that they, yeah. they have in the beginning and then Tanjiro's dad. So I will also share that meme in the Discord. Yeah, they they, they just had to make this more confusing than it needed to be. But <laughs> my assumption is that dream 
is of one of Tanjiro's ancestors. And like, I think the redheaded samurai, him being a demon kind of establishes why he's lived this long. Maybe, but I thought Hibutsuji was like the original demon and all their demons are tied to him, which is why he needs to die in order to kill all the other demons. Mm. Now that's like season one lore, so I could be okay. <laughs> totally wrong on that. Um, but that's what I thought. But yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure. Although I do have another theory. I'm jumping ahead a little bit because this theory ties in mostly with Muichiro's backstory episode where we learn that his dad looks like Tanjiro or Tanjiro looks like his dad. Okay, we had a back and forth about this as we were watching. Okay, so my here's my theory. My theory is when Muichiro says, oh, whose voice am I hearing? Tanjiro's never told me these things, right? Um, and then you see an image of Tanjiro and then Muichiro's dad. And they both have the same red eyes. And they kind of look similar. And they have the same demeanor and all that stuff. And then I think in the same episode or maybe the one before after it, you get that shot that we have in the OP, which is the original swordsman, like his back turned to the screen. And then like it pans out as all of these other people pop in and it's like people we don't really know, but then also the Hashira pop in and then it's, and then it's um, like Zenitsu and like all the current demon slayers. I, my theory is what if they're all related? Because in Muichiro's backstory, you have the demon slayer leader's wife going to Muichiro and Yuichiro what weekly or whatever to try and convince them to join the demon slayers because Mm -hmm. they are of they are part of the lineage of like a great swordsman which i assume is this guy from 300 years ago um so they must have a connection to him and his ability to kill demons so they want to bring him they want to bring these twins in to train them and fight demons but if every hashida if every demon slayer (laughs) is connected in that way what if they're all extended relatives because I'm going to mm. bet, this is, this is probably a stupid theory, but my, my theory is that Muichiro and Tanjiro are cousins. <laughs> that their dads are like brothers or something. Um, mm. And then, yeah, they're all they're all connected. They're all relatives. I'm sure manga readers are listening to me like, no, that's a that's a lot of crap. <laughs> that's not right at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm looking at a picture of Muichiro's dad. Uh, they don't, they, he doesn't look like Tanjiro. Besides the eyes. But why would Muichiro call out the eyes? He could just have said like, oh, you have a similar personality personality to my dad. But he's like, why does Tanjiro remind me of somebody else? Oh, it's my I dad because you have the same red eyes. Like, hmm. I think maybe that's like a metaphor for them having similar personalities in that they're gentle and caring and like their eyes are indicative of that. But maybe there is a familial connection because like I said earlier, I... I I think Demon Slayer is a show all about family, so that that could very well be the case. That would be wild. Okay, if my if my theory ends up being correct that Tanjiro and Muichiro are cousins, and then that everyone is connected somehow to the original swordsman, then I don't know. You owe me ten bucks. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's a lot to unpack from this first episode, this first forty-five minute episode, but I think we'll have to keep that theory in mind because it does it is starting to click even if i i don't think that uh tanjiro's or not tanjiro's uh, muchiro's father and tanjiro's family are related um but yeah it, it could be the eyes um uh, but yeah so there's that 
and then just learning more about Kokushibo's connection to these characters. In episode 2, Yorichi Type 0, turns out that Muchiro was only talking to a weird sex doll version of Tanjiro's scarlet-haired specter that the young swordsmith Kotetsu was trying to keep in pristine condition as is his family's duty. This, however, is rendered impossible by what Muchiro puts the doll through, wink wink. Finding Tanjiro to be a much nicer person, Kotetsu allows the rousing redhead to train fervently with the doll until he unlocks a new fighting move that reveals the hidden sex toy, excuse me, sword within. This was a very uh, interesting introduction to the Mist Hashira, to Muichiro, because he's got such a kudere personality and kind of seems like a dick in this episode. <laughs> like he he's he needs to get the job done. I understand that. He needs to train. But it's almost like he's tormenting Kotetsu the whole time um, and not considering like his feelings at all and the fact that he wants to protect this doll and just like really upsetting him in the name of, you know, training to defeat demons. I, I think feelings versus like saving people's lives, you know, one outweighs the other. But it just, yeah, when we've met all these Hashira that have some level of compassion towards others and then you get introduced to Muichiro, it does kind of throw you off for a second. Although not every Hashira is nice. I think we've learned that. So I don't think I picked this up until I started putting these synopses together. It, Muichiro is sort of suffering through an amnesiac state. Yes, that's kind of his journey through this season is him realizing who he is and unlocking his memories. Although I feel like that whole revelation is downplayed because mm. we're just getting mm. to know him now. And for like two episodes or whatever, three episodes, he doesn't have memories. And then all of a sudden they start to unlock. So I feel like it wasn't as grand of um, a, a hurdle that was overcome as it would be if we had known Muishiro for longer. Okay, but... I think that was meant to kind of explain his, his sort of distant personality in this case because I don't know if he felt like he was supposed to emulate more of Yuichiro's personality that we'll see in when we delve into his backstory later on. I feel like it's, it's as if he doesn't have a personality because he has no memories and therefore he kind of doesn't have anything to draw from. Because when we see his backstory, he's a very happy-go-lucky character even in the hardest of times he tries to see the positive side of things but that's just not the Muichiro that we're first introduced to mm -hmm. although I guess Tanjiro in this episode serves as the positive side and trying to cheer Kotetsu up uh, with you know being proud of your work and even if you can't continue your own mission that there will be others who can do so in your place one thing I did find really confusing, though, is how upset Kotetsu was that Muichiro broke the doll, chopped off one of the arms, you know, the face was smashed in, saying, like, it's it's his life's work. I mean, he's only 10, but it's his life's work to protect this doll that's been around for many, many years and cannot be replicated. And then when he gets pissed at Muichiro, he's like, Tanjiro, it's okay if you break the doll. Well, I'm going to have you train, and it's totally fine <laughs> if you break the doll, just as long as you get back at Muichiro. I kind of felt like that discounted the importance of this doll, but the doll thing was short-lived anyway, um, so I guess it's fine. They found the sword. That's what matters. Yeah, I, I think maybe he just thought Tanjiro, again, was a nicer person and cared deeply, again, cared more deeply about what Kotetsu was trying to do with the doll. Um, that he 
gave him full reign to do whatever. Although it's kind of funny that as Kotetsu is repairing this doll and Tanjiro's training against it, he's saying all of these like really offhand, like not insults, but motivators. Um, but one point he says like commit harakiri, which is I think the like the, the suicide thing, right? I I think so. <laughs> I just remember him saying that. It was like, okay, that's a little too aggressive in trying to get Tanjiro to to train harder. Uh, yeah, seppuku or harakiri. Yeah, I didn't realize that seppuku and harakiri were the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the whole thing with this doll and then the sudden revelation that this is where the secret sword was kept. I just thought that was a little too convenient because last episode, the first episode, Mitsuri hints at this. And I thought, okay, it's going to take Tanjiro probably the entire arc to find this sword. But then it just shows up inside this doll. I agree, but I wonder if maybe this is drawn out. Not drawn out, but more fleshed out in the manga. I wonder if this is one of those moments where the manga gives us a lot of backstory on the importance of this doll and who created it and why it needs to have six arms because the original swordsman was such a talented fighter that like only this doll can replicate his moves, blah, 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 and like why the sword was hidden inside. Like there's so much to the doll and the sword that we just didn't get this season. Maybe we'll get it later. But I wonder if it's one of those situations where for time's sake, they just couldn't, give us everything we needed in the season and kind of had to just rush through it if there are any manga readers who don't want to spoil anything in the manga but want to confirm if that is the case um, i'd be curious to know if, if that played out better in the manga in episode three a sword from over 300 years ago kotetsu offers the not so gently used sex caliber sword to tanjiro but it is promptly snatched up by hotaro kujo for proper repair while leaving tanjiro with a puny spare after another unsuccessful attempt at befriending Bakugenya with a peaceful tooth offering, Tanjiro, Nezuko, Muchiro, all the O's are confronted by haunted Hantengu as he and Vincent Van Gyoko begin their infiltration of Swordsville. Despite getting his head cut off, Hantengu grows two more bodies a la Hydra, forcing Bakugenya to join the battle but smartly bringing a gun to a sword fight. Muchiro, of course, fulfills his demon-slaying duties as a Hashira Hashira, but when forced to choose between a kotatsu and a hard place, he calls upon the tested and true mantra, what would Tan Jesus do? This is very much for me, but like one of the reasons I really like this season is the voice acting cast. Um, so we talked about how Genya has uh, Bakugo's voice actor, and I'm a big Bakugo simp. And then um, the upper rank demon personalities, I, th I don't know which personalities are which, but yeah, joy, anger, pleasure, sorrow, whatever. I think Joy um, is the one that's voiced by Kaito Ishikawa. Love him. Um, he's probably most well known as, um, uh, oh my God, why am I blanking? Um, Naofumi. Oh, from Shield Hero? Yeah, sorry, you know I'm terrible with names. Naofumi from Shield Hero. And then, of course, my all time favorite voice actor, Yuichiro Umehara, voices Anger. Right? I think it was anger. Hatred I came later. I think so. Yeah. Hatred was like the, the younger sounding. Uh, With the drums? Yeah. Yeah. So Umehara voices anger. And I was like, no fucking way. Like three of my favorites are all stacked up in the same season together. That's so cool. Um, but anyway, this episode was 
great because of the introductions for the two upper rank demons, Gyoko and Han Hantengu. Hantengu. Um, I I thought it was brutal the way the one swordsmith gets sucked into the vase. Like you see his body kind of like crunch into the vase and then it gets like spat back out all mutilated and there's blood everywhere. I'm like, what a creepy, eerie, like freaky upper rank demon. That was a really mm-hmm. cool introduction to Gyoko. And then Hantengo's introduction was even crazier because here you have Nezuko, Tanjiro, and Muichiro just having a casual ass conversation. And sometimes you can tell when they're about to drop like something crazy on on characters unexpectedly. Like it's unexpected, but you still kind of expect it to happen. I did not expect for this demon to just fucking waltz into the room (laughs) the way that it did. Like Hantengu just creeped the fuck in and they were like, wait, what the fuck's going on? I thought that was so cool. Well, they were, the three of them were just having a weird stare down in the room. Yeah. Right. And then he just waltz in out of nowhere. That was so <laughs> great. Like, I did not expect that. I mean, Tanjiro right before that said, wait a minute, I feel something's off. And then he creeped in. But even still, like, I did not expect that to be the introduction for that character. Before that, there was this whole thing with, again, Tanjiro trying to befriend Genya and he's just having none of it. Tanjiro just has one of his missing teeth. When did, did this happen in season one? No, I think it happened in the bath scene from episode one. Oh. I think, like, his tooth fell out he hit himself something something happened with the tooth i must have missed that then yeah i think everyone got distracted by uh mitsuri's butt (laughs) (laughs) okay Okay. that was like one thing from this episode i was like why does he have this tooth i thought he had this this whole time um since they were training to become demon slayers but okay yeah but yeah returning a tooth i don't think that's that's gonna be a a great way to try to repair a friendship with someone (laughs) And then you have Tanjiro talking to Muichiro that sort of triggers his memory or jogs his memory of just having this positive attitude, uh, specifically with the line, whatever you do for others comes around to help you as well in the end. Uh, So planting that seed for Muichiro to eventually realize that this is a, a similar memory to that of his father, although right now he's just imagining Tanjiro as <laughs> as his his saving grace. And it's something that ends up happening pretty quickly. Um, the, the good karma that Muichiro builds up by following Tanjiro's words when it comes to Kotetsu ends up saving him down the road. In episode four, thank you, Tokito, Muichiro heeds Tanjiro's advice and ends up saving Kotetsu from the menacing Magikarp deciding to rescue Hotaro Kujo and fellow swordsmith Kanamori from a similar fate. Elsewhere, Tanjiro, Nezuko, and Bakugenya get wrapped up in their own version of Attack of the Clones as the scarlet-haired swordsman struggles to get through the Birdman clone to save his sibling and schoolmate's skins. Good thing Mitsuri has joined the Swordsville battle to provide support, albeit a couple miles away. From here on out, for the rest of the season. I can't get over how Genya has a gun. <laughs> I don't know why. It just seems like it's it's not inappropriate for the time period that they're in, but it just feels so out of place because they emphasize how important the swords are and that's how you can cut off a demon's head and then they're in the swordsmith village <laughs> and he has a fucking gun. It just feels <laughs> so funny to me. <laughs> and I don't... It's not like this was forged by... 
the, the swordsmith. I don't think right? so. Yeah, like, he's yeah, just a fucking only... gun he's got. <laughs> Who gave him this gun? How old is he? Why does he have? Well, I guess they're they're all young and they have swords. But yeah, I don't know. It just it just feels like it doesn't feel bad. It doesn't look tacky. It just feels funny to like see this guy like whip a gun around and shoot people. <laughs> yeah, again, bringing a gun to a sword fight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or not people, but demons. It, it is interesting though because I was expecting when I saw the gun, I'm like maybe the bullets are special for demons. But I don't think there's anything special about him. I think he just blasts the demons away. I just looked up uh, Genya's fighting style on the wiki. Uh, It just says Genya utilizes a double-barreled shotgun with Nichiren cartridges. Whatever that means. I don't know what Nichiren is. Oh, I I think it's the the material uh, that the the cartridges are made of. It's the same material as the swords, the Nichiren swords. That the Demon Slayers use. Oh, so there is something special to the bullets. Okay. So then... But they, did these... they say that in the season? No. Maybe they, this is clarified in the manga. Oh. Uh, but that makes me think... <laughs> are the swordsmiths also brand, are like forging these bullets for They him? must be. <laughs> I do want to talk about the brutality of all of these fights. Um, but before I do that, I got to get out of my system. I'm sorry. I have to say it. The CGI fish are rough. Like they're they're not the worst thing ever. They're definitely mm-hmm. better than the bubblegum meat from the Mugen train, but they don't look great. And I say that when I think about the way that Mappa um animated CG Titans in Attack on Titan. I feel like while that was obviously CG, they at least tried to make the Titans look like the same like Sakuga style like animation as the rest of the environment so that they blended in. The fish just seemed totally different. Like they're they kind of have that that blend a little bit, but nowhere near the way like Mappa did with the the Titans. I don't know, maybe it's just me being really nitpicky about CG, but the fish just seemed blatantly different than everything else. Yeah, because I was going to say Gyoko is clearly, like, part of him is CGI. But I feel like his animation, his movements are more blended in with the anime style. Uh, but with with the Magikarp, they like to call them, um, they were the CGI there was a little too in your face. Yeah, it's just like... It- it was like a lot of shading. Like something about it just seemed interesting. It and was I, the bulging eyes. That's yeah. What did it. <laughs> and uh, there's that, that key point about Demon Slayer where I believe the animation, the underlying animation is CG with 2D over it. Yes. I, I haven't really looked into it too much, but I believe that's the way that they animate Demon Slayer. So it's not like none of it's CG. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The fish in particular just kind of stuck out to me. So I, I just had to say that. Had to get off my chest. They didn't look t- terrible. There's worse CG out there from from this season. Um, you know, one of the shows that that Carl watched, uh, it was pretty pretty fucking rough. The that one comedy show. You're looking at me like which one? Yeah, wait, wait, which one? The the one about the godless world. Oh, Kamikatsu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to the fight, even though the fight from this episode wasn't the climactic fight, it was so brutal. Like Nesco getting stabbed in the neck. Holy crap. That was very intense. And I think um, one of the things I really enjoyed about this season, which carries over from other seasons, is how intense and brutal the fights are. Uh, even even though there's less 
intensity overall with the fights, they still have their intense, brutal moments. Um, like when Tanjiro's foot gets crushed in one of the episodes. Yeah, I think it's like they're ramping up the stakes of the sort of gore and how brutal the injuries are in this season. Uh, especially because I think there was a shot of whoever, like Yuichiro Mahara's clone or whatever, stabbing Nezuko through the neck. And I think I, I, I like winced at that part. Yeah. Because like there's something so visceral about that. Um, and a lot of just impaling in general in this season. Like people just <laughs> tend to get impaled a lot in the Swordsmith Village. But maybe that's just because it's a village full of blades. There you go. <laughs> in episode five, Bright Red Sword, as Mitsuri whips up a storm in saving the village chief with the power of love, Muchiro rescues Kanamori from another menacing Magikarp and is forced to confront Vincent Van Gyoko's grotesque artwork and experience his Bubble Buddy exhibit. Meanwhile, the Clone Wars turn in the Demon Slayer's favor as Bakugenya goes super sinister Saiyan and Nezuko gives Tanjiro's blade a fiery steroid boost, triggering Captain Clone to reminisce about the raging redhead from Tanjiro's not-dirty dreams that almost made Muzan Jackson beat it. Is there anything Nezuko's demon blood like can't do? We talked about this in can't feed her properly. <laughs> <laughs> in the last season, when she used her demon blood, whatever, to heal Tengen from demon like, the poison, blood art, yeah, I was like, is there anything that she can't do? It felt kind of like overly convenient. This didn't feel as convenient with Tanjiro's sword, but I was kind of like, okay. There's just keep adding, keep adding things to the list of what her blood art can do. Well, later at the end of this season, that doctor, I forget her name, um, says that her blood, Nesco's blood has special properties. So this might just be an offshoot of that. It would make sense if Tanjiro and Nesco are descendants or related in some way, shape, or form to that original swordsman from 300 years ago. Like Tanjiro's able to use special abilities, which we see in this episode, then it would make sense if Nesco is his sister that she has special abilities as well. So maybe that's why she can withstand the sun. Um, she can do all these things with her demon blood art, but we have yet to have confirmation that there is a direct link to that sword swordsman i always want to say swordsmith swordsman but i mean uh again the yuichiro umehara uh clone says in this this is the episode where he sees tanjiro attacking and that's where he notes the similarities between tanjiro and kokushibo uh where he says this swordsman drove lord muzan to a corner and nearly killed him so a little bit more peppering in of this mysterious samurai and the possible connection between the both of them. It's interesting that the demons are able to see Kibutsuji's inherited memories because um, he's he's the OG, right? Like he's still around. Mm -hmm. And so they're able to see uh, memories from him. It, to your point, the fact that he was almost beheaded 300 years ago and then Tanjiro is able to also see inherited memories. There's those parallels going on, um, which I find very fascinating and I want to learn more about. That's some Assassin's Creed shit right there. Getting genetically passed down memories. Another interesting thing about this episode is I think we properly see Mitsuri's blade, which is more of like a 
has like a whip consistency, which I don't know how that works with a <laughs> like a, a blade that's supposed to be made out of metal. It's so thin that it's flimsy. <laughs> I did have a question, which I think I asked when we watched this episode. If it took Tanjiro forever to get to the village in secret because they had to like pass him along between a bunch of um, helpers or whatever till he eventually arrived and he was blindfolded and had his nose plugged up so he couldn't smell anything. How did Gyoko find it so easily? I recall in episode one, he said that he had a lead or something that he was going off of, but it just kind of cheapened the mystery behind the swordsmith village if Gyoko was able to find it so fast. There's not like a mole in the Demon Slayer core, is there? Was there ever something like that established previously? Not that I can recall, Hmm. but maybe I'm misremembering. It has been a long time since season one aired. (laughs) So some of these little details, I think, um, may be escaping us, but not that I can remember. Yeah, and I don't think he indicated where he got his source from in the first episode, but... Again, it's been so long since we've seen that first episode that I'm not entirely sure. Another thing is, now that I'm thinking about it, wasn't Mitsuri leaving the village in that first episode? I thought so too, but... So if this village is supposed to be, like the location is supposed to be kept a secret, like if she knew that she had to return because of this attack, how would she have returned knowing where the village was. I thought she was still in the village, but her time was coming to an end. Her time in the village was coming to an end. I thought she was still in the village, Mm, though. I could be wrong. Speaking of Yoko, he's gnarly. Just everything about him is gnarly. Like, the way he... you say Yoko or Yoko? Yoko. Oh, I heard Yoko. (laughs) No, Yoko um, and his abilities are just crazy to me. I know we talked about in the last episode how he sucked someone into the vase, and now here he's like revealing that he keeps their bodies and molds them together into artwork and can recreate the sound that they made when they you know, were, were killed and everything. It is just like twisted. He is so creepy. Um, probably one of the creepiest upper ranks um, or, or key, what is it? Yeah. Uh, Kizuki? Kizuki. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the creepiest Kizuki that we've gotten so far. And I kind of feel like it's a shame that we didn't get backstory on him. I actually mm-hmm. was more interested in his backstory than the little guy. I was about to say, like, learning why he has these sort of twisted pieces of art. Like, was he an artist in his previous life that like, maybe the way that he did his art was, like, frowned, frowned upon? Maybe. Uh, but Or like, do you think, I know we talked about this earlier, why didn't Gyoko get backstory? Do you think it's because he never went up against Tanjiro? Mm, it's like only yeah. a Tanjiro thing. Like you, you get backstory in the show if you go up against Tanjiro, and because Gyoko didn't do that, he didn't get backstory. <laughs> That's a shame because yeah, I think Gyoko is I, I would say the more interesting of the two Kizuki that are featured in this arc. Uh, I just think Hantengu. I'm I'm just annoyed by like his original form, how much of a bitch he is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Gyoko is the more sadistic one who is able to pull off these like creepy attacks. At the end of the episode, I think it's the end of the episode, um, when Tanjiro pulls out that like dragon head move, um, the animation was just delicious. Like I love the use of colors in that in that moment. And 
Demon Slayer uses colors very well in every fight scene, but there was something about this particular move that really drew me in. Um, it was short-lived, and we didn't get anything else like it the rest of the season, but I wanted to call out that that particular move just because of the way it was choreographed and animated. It was it was really nice. Really swift, too. Yeah. Because I think he was trying to coordinate with Genya, also slashing off one of the clone heads, and then this is where we see that Genya is looks like he's being possessed by a demon. Yes, which opens up a whole other set of questions that I have. My only other note with this episode is, I think this is when Gyoko's showing off his art piece. Uh, There's a shot of Kotetsu, and I think of Kanamori, and they're looking at their fallen comrades, but then Kotetsu's crying through his mask. Yeah, the mask kind of like, (laughs) not ruined, but kind of diminished the emotion at certain points. (laughs) Because you know behind Mm -hmm. there, there's a regular face and it's it's got regular emotion, but then you get the the mask on top that they never take off, which is commitment. Mm -hmm. But then you're kind of like, wait, which emotion am I supposed to feel? Yeah, but just the fact that there are tears coming out of this mask, (laughs) that doesn't, (laughs) like logically that doesn't make sense. In episode six, aren't you going to become a Hashira? Thinking that the clones have been defeated, Tanjiro realizes that the original haunted Hantengo Fett is playing a fearful game of hide-and-seek, prompting Bakugenya to give chase and initiate his lifetime original movie about his and his Hashira Hashira brothers resolved to kick Demon Derriere. The chase ends with Bakugenya looking like a piece of Swiss cheese from a surprise clone attack, while Tanjiro takes his place in finding the fiendish fearful fucker. Yet another reason why I feel like Mitsuri got the short end of the stick. Even Genya gets a more flushed out backstory. Now, granted, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Mitsuri's backstory isn't a dramatic one. It's it's sad in its own right, but it's nothing like, you know, someone dying or being killed by demons, like the way Genya and Muichiro's backstories were. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that means that her backstory should have less of a limelight. I also do think it's good that Mitsuri has a more lighthearted backstory. Like she was able to overcome the situation that she was in, but it wasn't a super dramatic backstory. And and again, kind of like this whole season, it's fine for there to be a couple of backstories that deviate from that norm where you don't have some really sad component to it. But again, I would have liked to at least seen more of Mitsuri's backstory if even Genya is going to have like a whole freaking episode dedicated to him. And he feels like... He feels like a side note in all of this. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure why Genya is even in the Swordsmith village unless he he needed his gun to be worked on or whatever. Um I forgot to mention in the last episode that Mitsuri like she comes like I said in that synopsis, she comes to the village rescue and then that's all we hear from her until like a couple episodes later. Um so strange kind of swerve to Genya although even though I thought he had annoying Sundere energy after hearing his sort of sad backstory empathized him uh, empathized with him a little bit more uh, so that he's just not this maniacally angry side character but is his brother mad at him because of what he said to him when his mother was killed because I I know the backstory is his mother gets turned into a demon, kills all the siblings except for the two of them, and then Genya's brother kills her to stop her rampage, and then Genya calls him a murderer. Is that why his brother's so mean to him now? 
probably. <laughs> They're like salty <laughs> with each other. Yeah, they just don't communicate with each other. Uh, but I think when Genya feels like he's close to death here, he comes to the realization that he just should have hashed things out with his brother and apologized for what he said. So I don't know now that he realizes that he has a second lease on life, even though he had like all those holes riddled in him, if he's going to try to make amends now. I don't think Genya is used to handling somebody like Tanjiro because I love the part towards the beginning of the episode where Genya is mad at Tanjiro for whatever reason. He's choking him out. I think he's he's being competitive with Tanjiro about like killing the demons to get a place on the Hashira. Um, and as he's choking Tanjiro out, he's like yelling at him. And then Tanjiro's like, oh, okay, makes sense that that's your dream. I'll do whatever I need to support you. And Tanjiro's just so pleasant as Genya's hand is around his neck. And then Genya's face is so funny in reaction to that. I love that moment. I love characters who are polar opposites. And when they come together, the dynamic they have is super entertaining. Yeah, it gives off uh, Midoriya and Bakugo vibes. It for, does. For very obvious reasons, <laughs> not. I mean, it's the same voice actor for Bakugo, but at least in this instance, <laughs> it's not dragged on. Like they're, they're sort of, uh, I would say, rivalry with each other. This is also the episode where the very uh, thought-provoking concept of villains gets put out there because you have the uh, the main villain, the main body of. Hantengu is that the name okay mm-hmm. I keep forgetting it Hantengu's main body um the little guy is hiding and trembling and saying you know these Hashira are villains these demon slayers are villains and later that same idea gets brought up where they're viewed as the villains because they're picking on somebody like Hantengu who is weak and feeble and all that although truly that's not the case because clearly there are other demons spawning from him that are kicking their asses but that whole concept of villains based on the perspective you're looking from I thought was pretty unique because you can I don't know like in this instance you can probably pretty strongly argue that the demons are the villains because of the amount of killing that they do Um, and the demon slayers are the heroes because they're able to protect others because if the idea of villains is picking on somebody who's weaker than you the demons tend to pick on people weaker than them all the time by killing them and eating them they initiated the attack uh, so I, I don't think it's it's a gray area here because um, looking again at these backstories of Genya, uh, of Muichiro that we'll later see, like they also came from, maybe with the exception of Mitsuri, they all came from these horrific experiences and they could have easily ended up as demons themselves to kind of perpetuate that madness and that evil but they chose not to. And I would say the same option was presented to these demons when back they back when they were human that they didn't need to go down the paths that they have. I mean, Muzan had an influence on them in certain cases, but yeah, I, I don't think Hantengu's argument about the Demon Slayers being villains here holds up. Yeah, there are definitely other stories out there in anime where there is very much gray area about who truly is the villain based on which perspective you're you're viewing everything from. But here, yeah, certainly less so. But again, I still think that whole concept is what's triggering Tanjiro to be extra angry this ep- or this season. There's also the reveal of 
Genya at the end. I mean, we had a hint of this in an earlier episode that he's just able, like, even though he looks like a Swiss cheese, that he's miraculously fine in the next episode. And I think we we learn later that it's because if he consumes a demon, he possesses their abilities. Yeah. So, okay. I have so many questions about this, um, but in general, has this concept been circulated in Demon Slayer before? I feel like maybe they've talked a little bit about it in the first season and we just can't recall. But I mean, I think this is the first time we're really facing what happens when a human consumes demon flesh. This is the first case that I can think of. And I'm surprised that again, this season kind of just glosses over that because I think this has strong implications. It's almost as strong as Nesco being able to bask in the sunlight without getting hurt later on. Yeah, there, there's a lot of questions that I have for whatever the future holds for Demon Slayer. But when it comes to Genya, I, I agree. I think it is kind of brushed under the rug. And I don't know if that's because maybe they didn't have time to really dive into it, maybe in the way they do in the manga, for example, or maybe they're saving this plot point for later in the series. Um, and maybe in a future season, they'll really dive into it because you're right. Like there's a lot of consequences that must come with eating demon flesh. If you're a demon slayer and you're found to be eating demon flesh for powers, that's, that's going to muddy the waters. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, why is he doing that? How did he decide to do that? Like, how, how did he come across that whole concept? And what happens if the demon slayer core finds out? There's just like so so yeah. much to this that you're right. They didn't dive into. Tanjiro didn't really question, although I think at that moment, that was the last thing on his mind. He just wanted to kill these these upper rank demons. But I hope this whole concept comes back around. And maybe that's why Genya is being introduced now. Maybe that's mm. why his character got the backstory and stuff, because maybe he'll play a bigger role later in the whole concept of eating demon flesh or powers. Yeah, I didn't even think about like the moral conundrum of that within the Demon Slayer core yeah but, <laughs> is he gonna get kicked out now like what i mean they're, now? <laughs> they're allowing tanjiro to use nezko for their cause but i don't know if that's but the caveat that he can keep her under control yeah and if not she she's gonna be killed yeah that's true so here it's like can genya keep himself under control enough if he uses this ability in episode seven awful villain with hunt hango fett's life on the line he turns into the Hater Boy clone to confront the Demon Slayers with his Deadwood Dragons. Elsewhere, Vincent Van Gyoko tries to break Hotaro Kujo's fixated attention on the Sexcalibur sword, while Muchiro remains stuck in the Bubble Buddy exhibit, but gets a visit from Tan Jesus, who later anamorphs into his own father, who tells him to go beyond Plus Ultra to save Kotetsu, who just can't catch a break from these damn Magikarp. As Tanjiro told Muichiro in the beginning, his kindness would come back around, and this is the case with Kotetsu. Um, I, 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 I love that we get Muichiro's memories. I love that his memories come back to him. But like I said before, it just doesn't feel as like big of a, re- a revelation or as big of a deal as it would if we had known Muichiro for a little while now. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're just telling me a few episodes prior to this that he has no memory. And now you're telling me, oh, his memory came back already. Like, that's great for him, but I'm not emotionally connected to that because not enough time has passed for me to really dive into that and, like, sit with that 
and like see Muichiro's struggles with not having a memory. Yeah, I think that's probably one detriment to this sort of recurring thing of Ahashira being the focus of each season is that like we were introduced to all of them in season one, but it's not like we get to establish rapport with any of them as the seasons go along. Uh, I think this was a strong case with Rengoku in the Mugen train arc where we were talking about Tanjiro only knows Rengoku for this train ride. And all of a sudden it's like we, like he, he just witnessed uncle Ben dying um, to make a <laughs> Spider-Man equivalent. Um, but yeah, there, there's not enough emotional connection. I feel with these characters to really empathize with these big moments in their lives. And I'd like to say Rengoku's death was was sad because I know we got <laughs> flack for that with our Mugen Train arc review. It was sad, but we just felt like it, it wasn't developed enough to be as sad as it was meant to be. Rengoku's whole thing came and went so fast. Yeah. You only had one movie with him and that was it. So yeah, it's it's not that his death wasn't impactful to the story. Obviously <laughs> it is because we see that Tanjiro still has the sword hilt and wants that attached mm -hmm. to his new sword. It's meaningful to Tanjiro, but as a viewer, at least the way I view anime and view characters, sometimes it takes time spent with characters mm -hmm. to really feel a connection with them. I think it's the same with like any character. It's like very much a tangent, right. but with any character, right? Like your favorite show or your favorite character, you've probably spent a lot of time with them. Like people who love Naruto or Bleach, mm -hmm. like that's a time commitment. You've spent a lot of time with those characters. So that's why there's such a loyal fan base that's been with them forever and ever. You've spent so much of your time with them. Um, so here with Muichiro and with Mitsuri and with all the Hashira, I, I kind of want more time with them. That's, yeah. I think, what I wish from Demon Slayer. Yeah, but we only, or like they only get confined to their particular season. Uh, so it's not as fleshed out as those other shows. I don't know why I'm thinking of Daryl Dixon. He popped into my head. From The from, Walking from Dead. From The Walking Dead. Like, imagine if we only got Daryl Dixon for one season, and that's the only season where we can really connect with him. Whereas back in its heyday, we were watching Daryl Dixon grow into this character that we we've we think fondly of. Over multiple seasons. Right. And so that's not necessarily the case here with Muicho, but again, great that he's coming to this revelation of who his true identity is and the empathy that he has rediscovered coming from his father. There is one thing, I, one last thing I will say about not spending enough time with the Hashira. It does, on the flip side, feel like the right call to a certain degree because the Hashira feel otherworldly. They are in a league of their own. Mm -hmm. So, of course, Tanjiro's not going to spend a ton of time with them. They're not going to train him. They're not going to mentor him. They're off killing, you know, the the big baddies uh, that are serving Kibutsuji. So it is kind of special when, like, oh, my gosh, Tanjiro, like, he gets to actually spend time with a Hashira. He actually gets to meet a Hashira. Like, that's a really special moment. Um, but, yeah, so it's, like, it's, you know, it's it's which way you, you view it. Either it's a good thing or a bad thing, depending on the way the story plays out. I think in this episode, again, this is where Hantengu transforms into the hatred clone, whatever, um, and comments a little bit more on how the Demon Slayers are awful villains that torment the weak. 
And then Tanjiro, of course, rebuts and calls bullshit on that. But I love how during Tanjiro's rebuttal, there's this triumphant version of his theme that plays. I think it's the translated title is The Song of Tanjiro Kamado, uh, which we hear a lot whenever there are scenes between him and Nezuko. Uh, but just reinforcing his status as this demon slayer who is who like knows his own strengths and is confident enough in himself to stand up against these very powerful Kizuki, uh, which is why I, I like Tanjiro as a protagonist. He's not your typical, <laughs> typical shonen protagonist, although he had tendencies of that in the Mugen Train arc and in the Red Light District arc. But I think here he's really come into his own and displays that strong sense of selflessness and confidence that's really amplified with the musical background. We also finally get to see a, sm- a swordsmith's face. We get to see, again, I'm terrible with names, Hana... Haganezuka. Ha- Haganezuka. Yeah, Hotaro Haganezuka. Hotaro. Um, yeah, we get to see his face. That's pretty interesting because I thought they were going to like stick with that forever. Like, masks don't come off. These are always going to be kind of like faceless masked individuals. But the, I think the, the fact that his mask came off and he didn't think twice about it shows how intensely focused he was on honing that sword. And that he doesn't feel pain unless... I, I know that... I think this is a psychological thing. If you just focus on something so much that you cut off like any other senses. Yeah. I've heard of that. So it, I, I guess it kind of makes sense that this guy... Again, focusing on forging the sword so much, he doesn't give a fuck about whatever is happening around him. Or he's just that strong. I mean, look at him. It's like a muscle bob buff pants. In episode 8, the Mu in Muichiro, with poison running through his veins and Bubble Buddy drowning out his throat, Muichiro's sappy Lifetime original movie flashes before his eyes as he recalls his sorrowful life with his twin brother Yuchiro despite being descendants of demon slayers. Thankfully, Muchiro's ultra instinct comes into play after a demon attacks their humble abode, but claims Yuchiro as a victim, with his final breath giving Muchiro his blessing to slay. Thus, the Mu in Muchiro stands for move, bitch, as the Mist Hashira Hashira gathers the strength to bust out of Bubble Buddy and shut down Vincent Van Gyoko's abhorrent art exhibit once and for all. His backstory was pretty rough. I expected the parents to be killed by demons, but one of them fell off a cliff, and the other one, <laughs> and the other one succumbed to an illness. Uh, of course, his brother did die um, ultimately from a demon attack. But the way he died, Yuichiro's death was so just like sad because he bled out and then continued to rot in front of his brother for like however much longer they and were sitting in that the hut. maggots started to... Yeah, oof, that was that was rough. The, the whole season, I feel like as Demon Slayer goes on, it continues to get more brutal, more gory, and just like more intense in that way, which mm-hmm. is interesting because we know some younger people in our family who watch oh, Demon yeah. Slayer. And like... I. You know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. We watched plenty of stuff that was full of like blood and gore when we were kids. But it's just funny thinking uh, back on that now. I'm like, well, if we survive, they'll survive Demon Slayer. But damn, there are some really 
twisted things in this show. Yeah, I'm thinking about that family member of mine that you're referring to (laughs) and like for them to hear this body was infested with maggots and the twin brother had to just watch that happen yeah (laughs) like that shit's too real but again they enjoy the show as long as they enjoy the show that's fine (laughs) i did get confused i think we both got confused when yuichiro had his apology to Muichiro at the end while Muichiro was fighting Gyoko. I was like, wait, so are they saying it's actually Yuichiro? <laughs> the whole the whole delivery <laughs> was a bit confusing, but you looked it up and you said it was a voiceover from of Yuichiro's apology to Muichiro from like beyond, right? Yes. I don't think he was able to say all of this in his last breath. Um, <laughs> I thought they like changed I thought it was like split personality no, thing and then like yeah. maybe that Yuichiro actually survived and it was just all in his head because he lost his memories. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because then that would have been a, a whole crisis of cons- conscience and I think that would have downplayed Muichiro's like growth and him coming out of his amnesiac state, state um, if we just realize, oh, it's Yuichiro thinking he's Muichiro. <laughs> but that's been computed. But yeah, the wiki cleared up that it's just uh, a monologue of Yuichiro giving his blessing to Muichiro in being the better of the pair. Um, but yeah, that was that was really confusing. Although I just realized his name's Yuichiro, just like Yuichiro Umehara. Hey, there you go. <laughs> In episode 9, Miss Tashira Muichiro Tokito, Muichiro is in the zone, Arto zone, as he makes quick work, Arto work, of Vincent Van Gyoko with his Sierra Mist abilities whilst continuing to reminisce about his amnesiatic rise to Hashira Hashira. Back at the Clone Wars, the Hater Boy clone preps his Deadwood Dragons for a Tanjiro Tissery until Mitsuri finally shows up to fight hate with love. It only took you five episodes, lady. Yeah, I can't believe it's episode nine that she finally joins the main fight. I know she was helping some of the swordsmith villagers um, several episodes ago, but here, episode nine is when she actually joins the fray. I I just, I feel like she got left behind this season. I really, really do. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side with Muichiro, we we do get to see his kudere demeanor piss off Kyoko, which I thought was great. Yeah, I thought that was so funny. Um, he's just he's so unbothered by everything. <laughs> yeah, it gave off like Levi vibes. Levi from Attack on Titan with the dry humor. Um, I especially loved like once he defeats Kyoko, he. He says, like, I've heard enough, so could you just go to hell already? Yeah, and he makes quick work of Gyoko. And at first, I'm thinking, okay, why did he kill him so fast? Um, There's, you know, Tanjiro on the other side of the forest, like, getting his foot demolished and all this stuff. But I have to remember that he's a Hashira for a reason. He's at the rank he is, at the level he is, for a reason. So in comparison to Tanjiro, of course, Muichiro is going to be able to kill a demon like this much faster um but with that said tanjiro i mean the poor kid gets destroyed every season with every major fight and i also have to remind myself of this where i'm like he's still learning you know he mm-hmm. he's gonna not be able to dodge every attack um he's not gonna be able to overcome every situation but that's part of his growth and we do see that growth happen even throughout this fight when he can pull out other moves from out of his ass and when he suddenly is able to like hone in on 
um, you know, being able to dodge certain attacks and stuff. So it's it's growth for Tanjiro. It's a journey. Although I feel like he is pretty OP this season. Yeah, he can uh, do it all. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it, hap- it happened already or later on where he just happens to pull out like a thunder breathing technique from his ass. <laughs> um, and then that whole dragon cut thing you were talking about earlier that cut through most of uh, Hantengu's clones' heads. Uh, but wanted to also bring up, going back to Muichiro, uh, his fight with Gyoko, there was this meme going around in the community about Gyoko and the Little Mermaid. And I think it's from this episode because I didn't understand why. We hadn't, I hadn't watched uh, Demon Slayer as this, or caught up to Demon Slayer as this meme was going around. But I think it's because when like Gyoko at some point emerges from the vase and looks like a mermaid. Oh, like when Ariel does her hair whip thing? Is that what it is? <laughs> the, the meme I saw, and if I can find the image, I can share this in the Discord, is like the poster for the live action Little Mermaid that came out recently. And it's <laughs> it's Gyoko uh, kind of photoshopped over Ariel's face and having the mermaid body. Uh, I, I think, oh, because of his true form. Yeah. yeah okay, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. His true form. And so that's where these little mermaid memes came from. And I was just so confused about that. But watching this episode, I, I understand why. In the post-credits, we get Zenitsu and Inosuke. Yeah, and they're the, like, when the fuck is it our turn? Yeah, the nin-nin. Uh, it was nice seeing that cameo. Yeah, because I do miss them. <laughs> it was, yeah, kind of fourth wall breaking. But, yeah. In episode 10... Love Hashira Mitsuri Kanroji. We get the third lifetime original movie of Mitsuri's sad sap story, though compared to Muchiro's, hers is like sweet sakura cakes to his absolute bloodbath of a beef stew. With the trilogy of season 3 sap stories now complete, the love Hashira Hashira keeps hater boy's attention while Tanjiro, Bakugenya, and Nezuko hunt down the ever-elusive Hantango Fett who apparently at this point is harder to find than a needle in a goddamn forest. I talked already about how Mitsuri's backstory is definitely not the saddest one that we've ever come across, but she talks about how she just wanted to be herself, um, but that she felt she needed to hide her natural strength and dye her hair and suppress her appetite to be accepted as a bride until I think she like had a prospective husband or whatever. She realizes that that's not even the life she wanted to live and said, fuck this shit. I'm going to go be a Hashira. So I, I like it. I I think, like I said before, you don't have to have the same formula for every single character. You don't have to have, you know, someone's family being murdered for every single character's backstory. Here, she lived a great life. She had a, a loving family. Um, she could have had a very comfortable, quiet life, you know, being married and all this stuff. But that's just not who she was meant to be. And she realized that and she wanted to, you know, to use her strength to help other people. I loved it. I thought it was great. I still would have wanted more from it, not like more about her story. Well, okay. It's not that her story wasn't satisfactory. I just wanted more about her. Like, I want to learn more about her because mm-hmm. we just have not had enough time with her. Um, so I'm, I'm really holding out hope that she makes another big appearance later in the show. Yeah, I'd be surprised if like someone dubbed the love hashira had something so traumatic happen in their life yeah that turned them into demon slaying but 
it's her experience is more of like an uplifting and a positive experience. Um, it's funny that I think hatred calls Mitsuri's build an abnormal constitution, which makes me think that's what you call it. <laughs> She's thick, okay? <laughs> yeah, I don't think today's weaves will, would call it an abnormal constitution. <laughs> she got those powerful thighs. Um, I just realized love went up against hate. Yeah. I do, why, why did that just click with what me? A, what the hell? <laughs> so thematic. Um, another thing that's brought up, I think Hatred sees this mark on Mitsuri's neck that he calls a demon's crest. And Muichiro had the same thing in his fight against Gyoko, th- th- those marks that appear on his face. Ah, but uh, also Tanjiro gets that when he uses his fire breathing. Isn't that his scar there is just permanent? Or wait, he has he gets... a permanent scar, but then it turns into a flame when he also like powers up for his mm, big moves. Okay. See, they're so, all descendant from the swordsman. This yeah. is my theory. So yeah, this is another dangling thread that we'll have to get addressed later on at some point. This thing called the Demon's Crest. And in the final episode, episode 11, it connected Bond, Daybreak, and First Light. With the dawn of the final day fast approaching, Tanjiro suddenly enters a thunder-breathing cheat code in to catch up to Hantango Fett and Kappa the Detate out of his head. But of course, it's a demon double as the real Hantango runs off to replenish his HP with some swordsmith savories. With Nezuko at risk of becoming a sun-dried demonio, she forces Tanjiro to use the last of his hamon to chase after the fiendish fearful fucker as she goes sunny side up. Just kidding! Nezuko is fine and just getting her suntan because demon science. Word of which gets back to Muzan Jackson, who after 1,000 years of trial and error has finally discovered that the key to demon immortality is to have a bowl of Nezuko's for breakfast. Until then, all's well that ends well in Swordsville as Tanjiro makes sort of amends with Hotaro Kujo and sets off with new Nezuko to solve the next set of Hashira Hashira's problems. For these swordsmen, swordswomen, swordsmiths, and swordsmuts all know that these two are a cut above the rest. So this was an extended episode. It was like 51 minutes, I think. Yeah, although I think it was advertised as 70 minutes. And I think this was also coupled with what was called the Times Square takeover, where it was just like on the LED screens and such in Times Square in New York City, they were displaying promotional images of Demon Slayer. I thought they were going to just play the entire episode. <laughs> Spoil it for everybody, yeah, even people who don't know what it is. Yeah, which would have been cool. Um, I, but I think this is just cool regardless to see how much anime has entered the mainstream that you have this show that is being advertised in such a prominent tourist destination as Times Square. Uh, so we can share a link to i think this is a tweet from the demon slayer twitter that has an image of this Times square takeover you mentioned earlier how tanjiro was able to use lightning breathing or whatever um we get mm-hmm. a zenitsu flashback i'm like let's fucking go more zenitsu content in this season where he's basically absent i, I just can't help but think so tanjiro can do three types of breathing now he was trained in water breathing in the beginning of the show and then he just manifests the fire, sun, sun, sun breathing, breathing um, through his link to whoever. Like, we still have to learn more about mm-hmm. that, but that's part of his, like, lineage. And now 
just because Zenitsu said something about concentrating all your your power into your legs, he can do lightning breathing too. He didn't actually say any of the moves, but there was a lightning clap or like a thunder clap yeah. and like lightning and he, he just went caught up real fast. To, yeah, just caught up to hunting. <laughs> Gotta go like fast. That. Yeah. <laughs> so that, I, I don't know. That I feel is a bit of a stretch to mm -hmm. be able to use a lightning move just because he remembers a quote from Zenitsu. Because think about all he <laughs> went through to use water breathing, which wasn't his natural breathing type. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe just Tanjiro is more in tune with his capabilities now. But yeah, again, it's it's kind of like him entering a cheat code at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know how you feel about Nezco burning. So she's sacrificing herself in this episode so that Tanjiro can go stop the demon from killing the swordsmith villagers. And it's super dramatic. It's super mm -hmm. drawn out. It's slow-mo the whole way through. Really sad music playing. Quiet even at some parts to kind of emphasize the impact of what's happening. And on top of that, they play flashbacks of Nezuko and Tanjiro together, pretty much signaling this is their final moment mm -hmm. as brother and sister. Only for Nezuko to come back <laughs> a few moments later with a huge revelation behind uh... it. I'm not... I'm not entirely bothered by Nesco seemingly dying and then suddenly she's alive and she can withstand the sun. But I think they went a little overboard by adding mm -hmm. the flashbacks. If they didn't add the flashbacks, it wouldn't have felt as pandering. Like they wanted you to be all emotional. They wanted you to be like, oh my gosh, this is it. But in my head, I'm like, nah, I think she's going to be fine. Yeah. And I'll admit they played with my emotions here. Uh, because as soon as I saw the sun come up, I wrote in my notes, Nezko, run! <laughs> like, you just hide under a tree or something. Uh, and then her catching on fire. And, you know, I think Tanjiro comes to her aid and tries to cover her from, from the sun's rays. And he's having to choose between a rock and a hard place because he can either save Nezko or he can save the swordsmiths that are being chased after by Han Tengu. And it reminded me of this moment in the PlayStation Spider-Man video game where Spider-Man also has to make a difficult decision. And, you know, the quote that's used a lot to promote that video game is be greater. And I think that's what happens here. Like, obviously, Nesco pushes Tanjiro to make the right decision and gives her blessing knowing that it's a sacrifice well worth it because he gets to save lives. But just the weight of that and like knowing that you are saving these lives at the cost of someone who has been your sole like goal this whole time, like his sole goal being to return us, go back to human form. Like there's just so emotion, so much emotion behind that. And especially when in this scene, as soon as she kicks Tanjiro into Hantengo's direction, all the sound cuts out and it's just him floating there. And then you see her kind of giving like a, a fist. It was like, just fight on basically. And then you have yeah, that montage play. It's like, oh my God, is this the final time we'll see Nezuko? 
And is, is Tanjiro's dream going to be crushed? And like, how is he going to move forward from this? Like all of these things are just running through my head. I also love that even though Tanjiro knows like, like this is a moment where he can grieve. He doesn't acknowledge it at first. He like concentrates on the mission, right? He, he goes over to Hantengu, strategizes about how he's going to kill him. And then after that, he has that moment to grieve. And I thought this was such a big moment for Tanjiro because now that now that he has like no motivation to remain in the Demon Slayer core with Nezuko gone, is he still going to continue to fight these demons in the world? But then we realize, oh, Nezuko's okay. She just has this powerful blood that makes her like have like great sunscreen or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, like something about that. It didn't sit right with me. I, I mean, I'm glad that Nezuko is fine and Obviously, there's more of Nesco's story that needs to be told, especially with the special characteristics of her blood. But like you said, I don't think it should have played out that way where they're just really toying with the emotional aspect of this, but then pulling it back and saying, don't worry, we were just teasing you. I want to see what happened between her burning and her not burning anymore. Did she just suddenly stop burning or did she mm -hmm. burn up? but then like shed her skin and she was fine on the inside. Like, how do you go from that transition? I don't think we'll ever get that, but I want to know, like, how would the, how would the creator have actually played that out? If the camera stayed on Nesco, cause she was already burning, she was in pain, like halfway crispy. How did she go from that to perfectly fine? I yeah. want to see how they would have played that out. I would imagine it's almost like a snake shedding its skin. That's what but... I'm thinking. Cause she was already crispy. <laughs> like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Unless she like, flamed up her blood demon art art and then like mm. demon blood art and then like yeah. she was fine i don't know i just i'd be curious to know how they actually portray that whole transition but this bitch talks now she, she's <laughs> fine she can withstand the sun she, she can talk now doesn't need the muzzle anymore that's what the op was hinting at. yeah <laughs> i i i think yeah i'm kind of like on the fence about the whole thing like i think it's it's a better reveal, a more dramatic reveal to have us thinking that Nezuko is going to die, but they just pushed it too hard that she was going to die. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That That's where I'm, I'm kind of sitting with this whole thing. But then we get more interesting information when it then switches to Kibutsuji and he cuts off his pretend mom's head. Like that, yeah. <laughs> and his, I figured that was going to yeah, happen. His little boy form. Yeah. And we get his backstory, but it's a very like abbreviated version. It's basically like he lived a thousand years ago. He was sick and got this medicine from this doctor he thought was like, you know, not good at what he does. Um, he he was misanthrope. Is that how you say it? Misanthrope, like you just hate humanity. You hate hum humankind. Yes. So I think that's what's fueling him being a villain. Because for since the beginning of the show... He's been evil for the sake of being evil. We haven't understood why he's evil, why he's doing all these things. Now we understand, like, he just was an angry dude. <laughs> he hated people. He hated everyone. He said he wanted everyone to just die or whatever. And then becomes a demon, I'm assuming, through the medicine that this guy was giving him. I think that's what's implied. So the guy was probably like a witch doctor or something. Okay. And since Kibusuji was going to die anyway, he was probably using him as a test subject. And then he became a demon. My understanding is he's demon number one and said that he's unwillingly creating other demons just so he can find someone who can withstand the sun so he can absorb them. That's a cool concept that he doesn't even want other demons around. He actually doesn't care about like world domination through a 
demon population. He just wants to be the only demon and the only one that can withstand the sun. Isn't that like weird? Because you think other villains are like, oh, I'm going to take over the world and it's going to be like all demons who serve me. He's like, I don't even want these other fucking demons around in the first place. So he's more so using them as experiments in order to find the key to immortality. Like the blue spider lily thing until he realizes like Nesco has against special blood to do so and so now he's like i don't have a reason to make other demons because now mm-hmm. i found the one that i'm looking for i'm like that's that's cool that's what i like about him as a villain with this additional information is that he doesn't have the motivations we all thought he did when we first got introduced to him yeah he's just not a, a one-note villain in this case uh, i also love that when it cuts to his backstory it's all sort of filmed in this gray tone like we're watching an old-timey film. Uh, but then we see bursts of red in certain points, like especially when there's blood involved. Uh, so it, it was almost like a like a Schindler's List filter as we're watching this backstory. So nice, I guess, artistic touch there. Uh, it also opens up questions because, again, uh, what's his name? Wuyashki, the leader of the Demon Slayers, says that there's a familial connection between him and Muzan. And I know that Ubuyashki has been suffering this sort of terminal illness. I'm wondering if it's the same thing that Muzan suffered from. Oh, interesting. And like how that's going to sort of play into all of this. And then we get that quick shot of it's Lady Tamayo. That was the, the, the demon doctor from season one. she's still doing her experiments so they haven't forgotten about her thankfully that wasn't a dangling thread that was never addressed Uh, but it sounds like she had come to the same conclusion about Nezko about her having special traits in her blood because they were sending a message to Tanjiro about it but then he already happened to see it because Nezko had transformed or evolved or whatever so I'm just glad that Lady Tamayo was brought back into the picture that it's establishing that she's still doing these experiments for Tanjiro. Yeah, I hope we kind of come full circle on that at some point in the show. Um, like maybe the next season he'll visit her now that they've realized that Nezuko can withstand the sun. And then the episode ends with Tanjiro uh, getting bid farewell by the swordsmith villagers. Uh, it was nice that the Kakushi took off the blindfold and the ear or the nose plugs just this once so that they could or he could see them uh, bid him goodbye so it, it was like a nice uplifting ending to this <laughs> hellfire of a battle yeah because you think about all the other fights that Tanjiro went through he didn't really get like a proper farewell and a proper thank you like the entertainment mm-hmm. district got destroyed right yeah. <laughs> so he didn't get a proper thank you then and then the um the Mugen train got Ren- destroyed Rengoku got destroyed yeah, yeah so he didn't get a proper thank you then so it's it is nice to have his talents and his efforts be recognized in that way and that brings us to our final thoughts for Demon Slayer season three or the Swordsmith Village arc so how many blades of gory out of 10 would you give this season I would give it a solid eight out of ten um i i think it's like i said before a lighter season i still really enjoyed it because it felt like a break from the very emotional moments we've been getting with the last season and the movie but it felt lighter overall like i felt like 
it flew by in a good way because the pacing, you know, was, was very nice as we talked about in the beginning of this episode. But it did kind of fly by because there wasn't anything that you were um, like emotionally drawn to, except for maybe like the Nezco stuff at the end. But then it all turned out fine anyway. So it's a break from the, the Demon Slayer norm, but not in a bad way. Um, I just hope that the rest of the show continues to have more depth the way the the previous seasons have had. Um, as I've mentioned multiple times, disappointed that Mitsuri didn't really get as much time to shine. Um, she felt second place to Muichiro, and so I'm hoping she'll come back with more, you know, more limelight. Um, and as I've also mentioned multiple times this whole season, I think the the cherry on top, the best part about it, is all the questions that it left me with, because I'm so curious to know, like, who's the swordsman from 300 years ago, and what's his connection to Tanjiro. What's going to happen with Genya now that we know he's been eating demon flesh? Um, what's going on with Nezuko conquering the sun? Like, we need to learn more about that. Kibutsuji, um, what's he going to do now? And what's his connection with all, with all of this? So we're at a pivotal point in the Demon Slayer story where I think we're going to get to the root of a lot of things and have a lot of substance provided to us versus just let's fight some upper-ranked demons with a Hashira. I think we're going to get more from here on out. So maybe you could call this season a transitional season mm-hmm, of sorts. There it is. To pull out Carl's, uh, one of his favorite his favorite words. I, I would say that's what makes it feel lighter is because we're pivoting to something more substantial. So it wasn't a bad season, but I understand why it's not one of the higher ranked seasons on Mal. But what do you think? I would give this season an eight and a half out of 10. So on par with how I felt about uh, the Entertainment District arc. This season, for the most part, was nothing more and nothing less than what I would have expected of Demon Slayer, which is just a good balance of action, drama, and comedy, even with Zenitsu and Inosuke temporarily out of the picture. But unlike My Hero Academia, I don't think Demon Slayer has lost its luster on me coming this far into its story. I think grouping two Hashira together into one arc felt a little too ambitious as it feels obvious that this season favored one Hashira story-wise over the other, while the latter felt a little too much like fan service, which leaves this sort of imbalance where focusing on one Hashira would have been fine as was the case in the Mugen Train arc or the Entertainment District arc. I think this season also just left more questions unanswered, like who's the mysterious red-haired samurai, what's his connection with Tanjiro's family, and why is Nesko suddenly able to have some fun in the sun. But it kind of eschewed these in favor of Tanjiro and his company to fight the next boss battle. And of course, it's an anime, so it has to or this is an anime, so it has to stretch the answer to these questions into the next season or two. And the battle to save the Swordsmith Village was impressive, don't get me wrong. I think there was plenty of character development for Tanjiro as he grows more into his own as a demon slayer and helps others like Kotetsu and Muichiro to realize their own potential. It's just that this felt like a side quest rather than a main mission storyline up until the very end with the revelation of how special Nezuko is. The animation from Ufotable, as always, was of superb quality, feeling even more so cleaner this time around. Um, I know we talked about the Magikarp kind of being 
too out of the loop in being consistent with everything else. But I thought the other CGI parts, like the wooden dragons, Gyoko, uh, I think they were better integrated this time around. So I have no qualms in that department. But all in all, the Swordsmith Village arc was just standard Demon Slayer fare for me, which is not a bad thing at all. It's just that this time it didn't cut too cleanly for me. And I just hope that the next season adds a little bit more substance to the overarching story rather than just peppering it in. And now we're looking towards the serpent, Hashira. That's what we have to expect with the next season. I think it's the Hashira training arc is what it's going to be called. Training arc? So does Mm -hmm. that mean someone gets put into the Hashira Tanjiro because he did successfully behead (laughs) Hantengu. So there you go. He has quite a resume now. He had Hantengu. He also had uh, Gyutaro. That was a kill too. Yeah, he, he's fought more upper-ranked demon than a lot of other people, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> so yeah, that's going to be interesting. I hope that Inosuke and Zenitsu come back too because I miss them. I miss them a lot. I'd love to see an OVA of what the fuck they've been up to. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, thank you guys as always for tuning in and listening. Let us know what you thought about the season of Demon Slayer, whether you thought it was the lowest rated of the seasons or if you think it held its own. And subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, like our newest patron, Coffee Cats Pugs, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. And tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.